Well, happy All Saints Day to all of you. Um, this is a good day to be together in the house of the Lord. And we have texts tonight that we'll be looking at together, both in John and in the book of Revelation, that actually come together, I think, with really a certain kind of combustive force that I, I hope we can, we can sit with them for a little bit tonight. You know, Jesus begins his earthly ministry at a wedding party in, in the Gospel of John, turning water into wine. It's always been a bit of a troubling verse for teetotalers, but he did it nonetheless. And then he ends his ministry in a cemetery, um, his own cemetery. I assume you know this about Jesus, but to follow after him is to embrace paradox. Jesus, who can be first? Well, the one who is last. Okay. Um, he who has ears to hear, Jesus says, let them hear what I'm saying. And then Jesus pulls his disciples aside and he says, and by the way, this is really only for you to hear. Uh, do you want life? Then follow me in the path of death and the cross. And the Apostle Paul says that the wisdom of God is the foolishness of humanity. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to embrace paradox. I will too. And as we follow Jesus to Lazarus' tomb, well, we have to embrace paradox there too. Jesus says to Martha, The one who believes in me will live even though they are dead. Come again, Jesus? So the scene before us is a powerful one. We all know the story so well that Jesus lingers. There are parts of the Bible that are troubling, and this is one of them. Jesus knew that Lazarus had died. He knew that Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, were grieving. And yet Jesus lingers a bit on this, before He comes to the scene. And by the time that Jesus arrives on the scene, wailers and mourners, typically paid wailers and mourners, were already there at the grave. You know, people from the Middle East, they know how to grieve. We tend to be a little bit more sedentary in our southern sensibilities. But in the Middle East, they know how to grieve. And they were grieving. And the grief in the air was thick. And Martha, who loved Jesus, I love that description of her, Martha, who loved Jesus, she turns her guns on Jesus too. If you'd only been here a little bit sooner, you could have saved him. And can't you empathize with Martha? If you'd only been here a little bit sooner, Lord. How many times do we pray the same thing? If only. But she believes in the Lord and she tells the Lord, I know that you can do anything that you want to do. And Jesus tells her, your brother will live again. And now the Martha shows us how she really knows her Apostles' Creed pretty well. Martha says, oh, that's right, I do believe in the resurrection of the dead, and I know, uh, I know that on that final day I'll get to see my brother again. But Lord, this is what I think she's saying in effect, but Lord, I'm in a cemetery right now. I don't really want to wait till then. And Jesus responds to her with some of the most famous words in all of the Bible. Can you listen to them tonight? Like maybe it's the first time. I am the resurrection, and I am the life. Would you mind if I rendered those verses in just a slightly different way? Jesus says to her, I am resurrection. I am life. Jesus says, I'm life. In the midst of life, we are in death. We know that. But with Jesus, to be near Him 
is to be near life. You know, when someone typically asks the big, big questions about life, what makes life life? Or what makes life a good life? And that's a question, by the way, that's been asked through the ages. What makes life good? When we ask those questions, we tend to ask them with the what question. But the Bible doesn't lead with what questions. The Bible asks the question about life in relationship to a who. Who is life? And the answer is Jesus Christ. Not only is life found in Him, not only does He make living better, He does all of those things, and I believe that they're true, but the way that Jesus responds to Mary and Martha is by saying, I am life. His very nature demands that He is. We shouldn't be surprised on Easter Sunday to see Jesus burst forth from the grave. It's by the very necessity of His being that He has to be. He is. And so our earthly lives, I think they frustrate us. At least maybe they frustrate you. They do me. I've got four children. That's the very nature of being a father. (laughs) And even good jobs that we have and are glad about tend to lead us to frustration. We grow bored. We grow tired. We grow fearful. Even good marriages are tinged by the reality that we're sinners. And sinners frustrate and they disappoint us. Even in the moments of life that seem at their best, fishing trips, camping, a good Christmas at the beach, we know that we're striving to preserve something that's fleeting from us because we know that in the midst of life, we're also in death. But Jesus reminds us in the tomb of Lazarus tonight, collectively, that He is resurrection and He is life. I love the juxtapositions of our readings tonight. John chapter 11, Revelation chapter 21. We see the beautiful paradox of grace in these readings. Jesus weeps at Lazarus' tomb, and in the description of the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation, Jesus wipes away all tears from our eyes. I mean, let that sit on you for a second. Jesus weeps in the suffering of His humanity, So that for the duration of eternity in the new creation, we will never weep again in sorrow. Jesus wept. That Bible verse, frankly, has lost a little bit of its force for me, I'm afraid. I grew up in a world where trivia questions about the Bible were kind of nice party tricks to have in one's pocket. And one of those party tricks was, what's the shortest verse in the Bible every You know, Sunday school kid growing up knows the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. So the evocative character of the Scriptures can kind of lose their force. But do you see it here tonight with Mary and Martha and something welling up inside of Him as He weeps? And we see the shoulders of Jesus of Nazareth begin to heave up and down under the weight of His own crying. It's kind of, it's a comforting scene and frankly, it's an unsettling scene at the same time. I, I grew up in a, in a church that had a strong pastor. His name was Alan Bratshaw. I can see him in my mind's eye to this day. He's with the Lord now. But Pastor Bratshaw, as we lovingly called him, was one of those kinds of men that 
When he walked into the room, he brought a gravitas and a graceful presence with him. I can remember moments in in the hospital with our own family where we were all a bit unsettled with what was about to happen because we didn't know. But then Pastor Bradshaw would walk into the room and we'd all be at peace because he brought that kind of ministry of presence. A lovely man. His wife had battled cancer. His daughter had just died of cancer, was on the brink of death. I was a junior in high school. I was sitting in the choir at our church looking down, and in the middle of the service, for no seemingly pronounced reason, my pastor, bold and strong, the ministry of presence that he had given for all the life that I had known him, was heaving under the sobs of his own tears. I remember just being stunned by it. And it was comforting, because I know my pastor's human. But it was unsettling, because I saw my pastor crying. And the crowd sees Jesus weeping, And they have to make a comment. Look how much He loved Him. See, the tears of Jesus open up for us a world of love. Jesus weeps in the suffering of His humanity, embracing the sorrow of the moment and the full assurance that His own suffering will put an end to suffering and loss and death and goodbye forever. I don't know what you felt about Mel Gibson's The Passion. I have mixed feelings about it. We'll talk over coffee. Um, but one of the things that's very moving about Gibson's passion is it is really a kind of medieval painting come to life. It's Caravaggio on screen. And uh, Gibson takes some license here and there, as one would expect, but he does so in one moment that I actually thought was probably worth the weight of the whole burdensome movie. And that's the scene when Jesus is walking down the Via Dolorosa With the weight of the cross on his back, he falls underneath the burden of his cross. His mother is waiting in a side alley. She runs to him, remembering a scene from him as a child falling, cries out Yeshua. And then we see this rather evocative and emotive scene where Jesus and Mary are face to face together under the burden of his own suffering. And Jesus says one thing to her, and it's from our text tonight. Behold, I'm making everything new. So God had to kill Jesus so that He could make everything new. I mean, who would have ever guessed that at the broken and horrific scene of the cross, God was making everything new? God has made everything new. Out of death comes life. After the cross comes Easter. God kills so He can make alive. And by that, He means really, really alive. And the scene in Revelation tonight that we just heard read so well is our hope come to fruition. It's the kingdom of God come to its fullness The throne room of God and the dwelling place of humanity are fused together. Look, the uh, the author says, God's dwelling place is now among the people. So the veil that's separating the sphere of humanity from the heaven of God's special presence, that veil thins out to a nothingness so that heaven and earth are now one. Behold, I'm making everything new. The former things have all passed away. No more dangerous and pernicious sea. It's just new. And there's Jesus in that scene that we just heard read. The one who is life. The one who is resurrection. The one who wept with us and for us in the cemetery of our own existence. And now He's on His throne 
in the new heavens and the new earth, and He's wiping away our tears. But not like a mother who blots out some tears knowing that tomorrow we'll be doing the same thing again. This moment of tear blotting blots them away into oblivion. No more death. No more pain. No more mourning. No more crying or sorrow. No more forever. And existence in this world is the existence of music. Life in music and the love of God forever and ever. Amen.